Welcome in, boys and girls, to this week's edition of Cougar Tales. Nate, as always, joining the mic, and my trusty friend, Phil. Nate, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, Phil. How are you? I'm doing so good. I cannot complain. And joining us today is a legend in the BYU sports world. 41 years as a BYU sports information director, Ralph Zobel. Ralph, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing just as good as Phil and Nate. Oh, hey, that's pretty good then. <laughs> Not bad at all. Well, we kind of want to show the world who Ralph Zobel is. I mean, you were the man behind the scenes for 41 years. Kind of doing all the things that made games and teams and practice possible. So can you kind of describe to us kind of off the bat what your job entailed and what you did for BYU? You know, people ask me a, a lot of times um, what I did for a living. And uh, I came up with a real good nutshell answer. I said, have you heard of Ty Detmer? They go, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, well, then I did my job. Uh, Ty did a lot of it on the field, but um, today's interview might be a little bit uncomfortable for me because I'm used to putting people, other people out in the uh, limelight. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for 41 years, I was able to do that. I don't remember my first setup of an interview. I remember one of the early ones, um, I went swimming today and I saw... Uh, Todd Christensen's brother, who's a faculty member here on campus. And uh, Todd was reluctant to do interviews. Todd ended up being a, a all-pro in the NFL as a tight end, but didn't play tight end for BYU. He was a fullback. And uh, one of my early assignments was from the conference office, the Western Athletic Conference, needed uh, an interview with Todd Christensen who was reluctant to do interviews. And they said, can you get an interview with him? Well, I didn't know any different. It was one of my first assignments. I knew how to badger people <laughs> and I tracked him down. And Todd didn't have the big vocabulary uh, then that he ended up later with in the NFL. But I found a fun story with him that I was able to use as kind of a, an anchor for that story. Um, it was just a basic question. Todd, how did you get started in football? And he said, well, my brother and I, when we were growing up in Oregon, went to the park and we played uh, catch with football. And he said his brother, who's now a nutrition professor here at BYU, uh, said, Todd, the most important thing in football is to tackle the man with the ball. And two other guys came along and saw the Christensen brothers playing there at this Oregon park. And they challenged him to, uh, hey, can we play a game of two-on-two? Two? Sure. Todd, who was a deep snapper for BYU as well as a fullback, uh, hiked the ball to his brother, Merrill, and turned around and tackled Merrill. <laughs> that tells the human side of Todd Christensen that a lot of people didn't know. And I like to help people see the other sides of these athletes and coaches that I was so privileged to work with. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So um, for those who don't know sports information director, what Ralph was or SID is what it's commonly known as, um, that is the person that the media gets in contact with whenever they want to talk with or have an interview with any athlete at a team. So 41 years, Ralph, you worked with Lavelle Edwards, 
You worked with Ty Detmer. You worked with Jim McMahon. Um, you also worked with the basketball and baseball team. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So out of, you know, you've worked with so many people, kind of who had the most, I guess, who did, who was the most requested athlete or coach that, you know, the media newspapers would come to you and ask, we want to speak to this guy. Who was the man that they wanted to talk to the most? Well, it was always the BYU quarterback. Um, before the BYU quarterback factory really got going, I got to work with Gifford Nielsen. Gifford was a dream. It's now He's now known as Elder Gifford Nielsen, one of the general authorities. Um, Gifford had the natural talent, and we didn't have to coach him on how to work with the media. He could just do it. Uh, people knew that Jim McMahon was in the program, and they, come on, Lavelle, put in, put in McMahon. And uh, Lavelle knew how to work with his quarterbacks. And uh, Jim was harder to work with. Uh, Robbie Bosco was harder to work with during the national championship year. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of requests for him during that time. John Walsh was hard to work with as a quarterback. Ty Detmer was a dream. A lot of people enjoyed working with him. Uh, Steve Young um, not as easy to work with. Really good. I, I got to hear Steve at a funeral this last week or two weeks ago uh, at the funeral of Lavelle Edwards Secretary Shirley Johnson. And Steve did a masterful job speaking there. I, mean, I was very pleased to hear that. As far as one person, you know, there were so many. A Danny Ainge uh, was very a popular request. I was privileged to work with Lavelle. Um, mm -hmm. rub shoulders with him. Um, my children, as they would go past his office on those um, late nights when no one else sees you there, they, they saw the chair and they go, there's LeVar Edwards' office. Mm -hmm. uh, no, that's Lavelle. And I don't know that there was any one particular one athlete or coach, but there were some spinoffs. Uh, one of the fun spinoffs, Sports Illustrated came to BYU to work um, a baseball game before BYU was ranked number one in that magical 1983 season. And they came to interview Scott Nielsen, who ended up setting an NCAA record that weekend with his 26th consecutive victory on the pitching mound. And Wally Joyner happened to be on that team. And so did Corey Snyder. And so those Three were requested interviews from uh, Sports Illustrated. We didn't have lights in the baseball field then. It wasn't artificial turf. Fortunately, the rain stayed away, and we got the game in. I believe, well, we did win because Nielsen set the, the record. Mm -hmm. And after I was all done helping the Sports Illustrated reporter, he looked over at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, then known as Cougar Stadium, and he goes... Is there any way I could get a, a tour of that? Well, I had a key, but I didn't have the code to turn off the alarm. Mm -hmm. And it's after 5 o'clock. Who could I call to turn off the alarm? I just said, sure, let's go. It's Sports Illustrated. And the key worked. I'm up there in the press box that you've been to, Nate. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking there, and all of a sudden, here comes BYU security roaring in. <laughs> Who are you? Oh, they don't know who Ralph Zobel is. I pull out my card and show them, and uh, I knew I had triggered the alarm, 
And they said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm giving a tour to Sports Illustrated. It was a little embarrassing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that years later I would be going through a divorce. And so they checked to see if I have a police record. I did. BYU security had turned me in for breaking into the press box, which was my second home. That's funny. You you went through probably 15 names of like BYU royalty when it comes to sports. You know, you named some some big time quarterbacks, some great baseball players, some great basketball players that you just you know you casually just name drop, no no problem. But I mean that, that but that's. That's the beauty of it, because like you said, you know, time then you did your job, and you did a great job. But can you kind of explain how you got to this job? I mean, we've talked about this before, and in your story. But can you kind of explain why you why you came to BYU, how you chose BYU, and then how you kind of got to where you were in the position to even rub shoulders with those kind of men? I was fortunate to get some good training along the way. Uh, I started out at that hated University of Wyoming because I'm a Wyoming native. And I went on a mission to Indonesia. And while I was on my mission, I thought, you know, I've achieved a lot at the University of Wyoming, one of which was to go on what they called the Skyrider Tour. And you would go visit every campus in the conference. And so that was the first time I became aware of what a sports information director was. And I actually got to ride in the car with Dave Schultz, the first sports information director at BYU. And um, I corresponded with Dave a little bit on my mission and decided that my ACT wasn't as good as what you need to get into now at BYU. But uh, as a return missionary, I had the credentials to get in at that time. And uh, I went to the Daily Universe. It's now not daily, but... Yeah. Uh, I had worked as the sports editor for the Branding Iron at the University of Wyoming and for the town paper, the Laramie Daily Boomerang. Great names. Yeah. And I went to the universe office and I just inquired. I was working at the language training mission and I went to the universe office and said, could, could I maybe work for the universe? And they said, well, you have to take the class. I said, what's the class? They told me, and I said, well, I've already taken that class. I've transferred in. They go, and I didn't know how the universe worked, but they just said, no, there's no way you can can work for the universe. And so I went to Dave that I had corresponded with, and I said, could I possibly work for you? And he said, well, you know, I don't know if we have an opening or not. And in those days, the sports information office was on the third floor of the Smoot Administration Building. And uh, I showed up for the start of football during the summer. And I didn't have any official invitation other than, you know, come and see us and we might have something. Well, I'm there ahead of the students. And I said, I'm here. And they thought, wow, this is a gift. We got some help in this two-man office. And we have football media day coming up. Um, yeah show up and I could run errands for them. And it turned into an internship. And the two semesters later, during the, that second semester as an intern, the full-time assistant came to me and he said, I'm leaving. 
uh, you need to apply for my job. And I said, well, I don't have a degree yet. I'm, I'm still a couple years away. He said, you're good enough. You need to apply. So I applied and I'm answering the phone for all these other applicants. <laughs> and I thought, let the best man win. I didn't hang up on him. And uh, I proofed the media guide that needed to be done and worked hard. And uh, by the end of that summer, they'd made a decision that they wanted to hire me. And uh, so it took me a while to get my bachelor's degree. And then dating was boring. So I thought, well, let's get a master's here. And what I found out on the master's, five years to get it going or to complete it, it took the full five years for me because every time I would take classes and had the permission during the fall, BYU was starting to go to bowl games. And that's a lot of work. And I found out I had to kind of drop the class and take an incomplete during the bowl season and then come back and complete that degree later. So I was very fortunate to be hired on in the two-man days and work on the same floor as a um, gentleman that you know as Elder Dallin Oaks and Elder Jeffrey Holland. Got to know them on a first-name basis because I was working on the same floor as them. Some more casual big-name drops. That's yeah. Rob Sobel, everybody. <laughs> that's just who he is. But, I mean, he'll never he'll never brag about it. That's, that's the beauty of Ralph. That's what I love about him. But let's kind of, kind of keep this, this ball rolling a little bit. Um, for the past lot of years, I mean, you're retired now. But for the last, I think it was 20-ish years, you were working specifically with baseball. Is that correct? I worked. That, that was what got my in for me. Uh, because when that assistant left and he said, you need to apply for the job, there was two weeks left to go in the BYU baseball season. And they needed someone to finish it out. And they said, can you do that? And I, I thought, well, yeah, I rode the bench in Babe Ruth and kept the scorebook. I know how to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I helped them finish out that season. So from pretty much day one, I was sports information director for baseball. And so you did baseball, basketball, football. What were the, some of the challenges that you encountered doing those different kind of sports? I mean, football, I mean, obviously, probably is alpha dog. And as far as media, everyone wants to get to football. You know, basketball, you were with Danny Ainge. That was probably quite a festival in and of itself. So what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome while you were doing your job? I'm glad you mentioned those other sports because they we have 21 sports at BYU. Mm -hmm. And one of my very first assignments, Phil, you I think you alluded to it earlier, um, when they brought me on as the intern, <laughs> they did not have a women's sports information director. And so one of my first assignments does come back to me now. Um, they said, can you cover women's field hockey? Well, I'd done that at University of Wyoming. Sure. Uh, how about women's volleyball? Yes. And so I went down and conducted an interview and they were in the process of getting a full-time women's sports information director in. But there were some sports that I had not been familiar with. Uh, gymnastics was one. And I'd wrestled, so I was a little bit familiar with that sport. With gymnastics, I learned a trick that I passed on to other interns. If you get assigned something that you don't know, take the challenge 
and go sit by somebody in the audience that looks like they know what's happening. And they taught me about gymnastics. And we had some national champions. I got to work with Wayne Young, whose son, Guard, is now the coach for the women's team and was a national champion. Um, I got to work with some gymnasts. Uh, it was very rewarding to work with all these sports. But when you talk of um, some of the things, the challenges that we learn and how to juggle it all, I was second fiddle a lot of times to Dave Schultz because it was a two-man office. And when it was bowl season, I knew who got the trip to San Diego, mm -hmm. but I'm from Wyoming. So Dave didn't like to go to Wyoming and all the Laramie trips became mine. Uh, but during the Miracle Bowl, a lot of people remember the Miracle Bowl. So do I. I wasn't there. I was playing second fiddle. But it was an important second fiddle because basketball keeps going during the bowl season. And Dave was in San Diego. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee with Danny Ainge at the Volunteer Classic. And at that time, KSL did not have the radio contract to do the bowl game. It wasn't allowed. So Paul James, the sportscaster for BYU, was there with me in Tennessee. Ms. Lou was televising the game. We could not see that in Knoxville. So we went to Paul James' room at the hotel after the basketball tournament, and he called Salt Lake City, talked to the KSL office, and about 14 of us, including Tom Homel's brother that was a trainer, um, Frank Arnold, the coach, were sitting there in the hotel room listening to Paul James recreate as if he were seeing the game hmm. uh, from a relay of a telephone that he had. And so that's how I became aware of BYU's victory in the Miracle Bowl. So you've brought up you know, the Miracle Bowl and basketball games with Danny Ainge. And I just want to, like, as a, as a BYU fan, okay, not, as an S, as, not as an SID, but just as a fan, do you have a favorite moment, a favorite game throughout BYU? It could be for any sport. What's one of the fondest memories you have as a fan? I'm a little bit partial to baseball, and so that's what immediately comes to mind. And uh, Peter Kendrick was from Hawaii, and he was five foot seven, a lefty pitcher. No lights again at BYU, and no artificial turf yet. And we're playing in the Western Athletic Conference Championships, hosting Hawaii. And if BYU wins the first game, then it forces a second game. And Peter Kendrick stayed on the mound after winning against his native state and he threw 253 pitches that day and BYU won both games beat Hawaii qualified to go to the NCAA regionals for a second or third time and we're in Austin Texas and five foot seven Peter's arm is spent <laughs> because oh, yeah. a hundred pitches will do you in mm -hmm. and to throw 253 uh, BYU played Stanford in its first game there, and on that Stanford team was John Elway, <laughs> who Wally Joyner, 
I'm dropping a lot of names here. Right? I know. Keep, keep <laughs> dropping them. I love it. Yeah. I love great. it. Wally Joyner later told me the fastest guy he ever saw. You know, that comes as a surprise to some Bronco fans. He said it was John Elway. He said, I turned around first base and Elway was gone. But Kendrick's arm was spent, uh, even though we started him against Stanford. And that was a, just a fun story to tell everyone about Peter. Still is. And mm-hmm. uh, fun to see Peter. Um, he had a son play briefly on the team. Dave Eldridge, that was his catcher, was also from Hawaii. The Hawaii media were stunned that this little guy could do what he did against um, a pretty respected Hawaii team. Yeah. I'd, I'd qualify that as a, as a pretty good memory. <laughs> That's pretty good. But um, I, I, I kind of want to, I mean, you, there's, a big, there's a big name that I kind of want you to elaborate a little bit more on. Um, and he, he recently passed away, and that's Lavelle Edwards. Um, and you've talked, we've talked previously about, you know, that Lavelle was, was a big influence on your life. He was a, a big mo- motivator and mentor to you. Um, and I kind of just wanted to hear more about your relationship with Lavelle and kind of what he meant to you kind of coming up through the ranks of BYU Athletics. I don't remember early on, you know, Lavelle knew who I was. I was around the program. And I remember um, when I became the sports information director succeeding the legendary Dave Schultes. And I went to do the standard things. I was working on statistics a lot with Dave. But now the weight is on me. And I go to Lavelle to get some quotes about the upcoming game. And boy, it was like pulling teeth. I just couldn't get anything. And I called Dave up and I said, Dave, how, what's the secret? Am I doing something wrong? And he goes, well, you know, I, I kind of expanded on a lot of Lavelle's quotes. Because in public, when you put Lavelle in a situation like we're in right now, mm-hmm. Lavelle's great. He can deadpan it and just really do great. But if, it was, if the mics were off and it's just you and me, with him, he would say, yeah, okay. And you need to draw out something that's more quotable than a yeah or okay. And I learned to work with him a little bit better. I learned a lot about him through uh, in-depth stories that I did on him. I've been to his house, um, got to know his children. Lavelle means a lot to me personally. I. I haven't shared this story publicly. I went through a divorce like I alluded to earlier, and um, I needed some people to testify for me. And Lavelle came and testified in court for me. And he was on the hot seat, and they were grilling him (laughs) about uh, Mr. Zobel and 40 hours a week. And they went through my resume and what I did. And the lawyer said, we can see that Mr. Zobel um, doesn't have time to be a father because look at all he does for work. And this is the the year after Ty has won the Heisman. (laughs) And Lavelle deadpanned it right there in court. And he said to the attorney on the stand under oath, lady, 
It's not every year you win a Heisman Trophy. <laughs> Just shot the legs out from underneath her. And I thought, wait, I go Lavelle. <laughs> that is a cool story. Yeah, that really is. It just kind of goes to show, like we all we all kind of know that the type of man that Lavelle Edwards was, but to hear a, a personal story like that just really adds to kind of like the the love that everyone who ever can, can, came in contact with him had for the man. And sometimes we we put Lavelle on this pedestal of you know one of the greatest coaches ever, and we can't forget just how good of a man he was. He had his weaknesses. Um, one of the strengths he had, he liked to work with his captains and teach them at the beginning of the year. And in 1985, we were at the Meadowlands for the kickoff classic, playing against Boston College. We had a big press conference the day before. And so we're at the press conference without players, without Lavelle, because he wants to talk to his captains and drive them there personally instead of having sports information people assist. The press conference is getting ready to start, and there's no Lavelle. Yeah, he'll be here. We, we know he will. And that's one of the challenges. The, a lot of this is in the days before cell phone and Internet. So mm -hmm. it complicates things. And so they start the press conference without us. And then Lavelle comes in, and Glenn Kozlowski goes up to the microphone, and he kind of indicates that Coach got lost. Uh, driving on the toll roads and circling the arena. And when Lavelle comes up to take the microphone, he said, you know, back in Utah, we've already paid for our roads. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, was, he was before my time, but I wish I could have seen him coach more. But mm -hmm. um, Do you still maintain pretty good contact with former players that have come through the ranks? I mentioned going to a funeral uh, two weeks ago, and it was fun to see some of these former football players come through and pay their respects to Shirley Johnson. I, I wrote down a list of, uh, there was uh, about 166 people that were there. Uh, several of the big name athletes, uh, Steve Young spoke there, and uh, there were some that didn't get to come, and so I used some of the email connections that I had and sent them notes. So yes, I, I do see some um, off of one of the low points that I got to be with um, was a basketball team that only won one game. And the point guard on that basketball team was Matt Montague. Matt is now in the stake presidency where I live. <laughs> and uh, he's a champion of a man. And it was fun to see him as a player and as a person. So yes, I do maintain contact with some. Yeah. My financial planner's one, Chuck <laughs> Cutler. Oh, really? It's funny how they just end up in places you don't expect, but. Um, I kind of want, we're nearing the end of this, this little journey we're on, but if, I mean, you kind of talked about your favorite, one of your favorite memories as a fan, but as an employee, um, did did being an employee of the university and working with the team specifically add anything extra to a game or to a moment for you personally? BYU stands for principles that uh, a lot of people are aware of. So no Sunday play um, factors in um, whenever they make room for 
basketball or baseball or softball, any of these that have similar mm -hmm. formats, uh, to not play on Sunday. Uh, I remember when that really became an issue, and that was in 1977. And we publicized before this season and it wasn't my decision but I it was passed down to me and so yes we articulated it that should be why you win the football championship uh, we would not be playing in the Fiesta Bowl on Christmas Day a Sunday and people remember that and so we played on Christmas Day in the 90s in the, at the Aloha Bowl and people would say, well, I thought you couldn't play on Christmas Day. No, mm -hmm. the reason we couldn't play is because it was Sunday and our school stands for uh, not playing on Sunday. And so that is something that people knew of our standards. And lo and behold, that particular year, we did tie for the conference championship. And we had to say, no, we're not going to the... Fiesta Bowl. It was a good team. They wanted a place for the team to go. And so they went to Japan and played in the Japan Bowl and played against the Japanese All-Stars. And Nate and Phil, they, they needed somebody to go on that trip. And here's a guy that had served a mission in Indonesia and Asia, and they said, well, let's send him. Hmm. And so I got to go the first of two times to Japan and promote BYU football. And one of the things that they challenged me with there at the first press conference that we had, I went ahead of the team. They said, you will tell them that Gifford Nielsen is going to play the game. Well, I knew Gifford had ripped out his knee bad mm -hmm. and hadn't played and that he probably wouldn't play. And it was almost like they put a gun to my head and said, you will tell them in this press conference because tickets need to be sold. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, that question came up. And I said, I don't know that he'll play. You need to ask him when he comes. And so one of the fun photographs is when the team came, the photographers were there and where's Gifford? I, yeah, he's the guy with the crutches. <laughs> And he pulled up his pant leg and showed him this big zipper scar. And that made the sports pages in Japan. I don't know that I've answered your question. No, I think it's, that's a great, it's a great reason. And so, I, no, I think it totally does. Um, I think we want to end on this, on this question. Um, what has been one of the most rewarding things for you personally, for working for BYU, for being involved in BYU athletics, what is something that you kind of, like your big takeaway from your 41 years of being involved in BYU sports? Nate, people ask me, this past year since I've been retired, how's it going being retired? I don't have a, a great answer still yet. Some days it's good, some days it's not. I do miss um, some of the grind uh, right now. The College World Series is getting ready to start. I got to go there two years ago to receive a national award. And you know, our team never made it there in the 41 years that I was here, but they went twice before I got here, so I got to promote that. But the people that you get to meet along the way, 
and no one knows who Bo Carter is, but Bo's at the College World Series, and he promotes college baseball big time and to follow in his footsteps. I got to see Bo this last fall when I went to help my brother with the heart transplant that he had, and there's Bo. We went to um, work high school football game that got rained out with Bo, and I wouldn't have had that relationship had I not been involved with college baseball, and here it is, football coming along. And just the people that I've been so fortunate to meet along the way and be a missionary. I like to be a missionary and talk about a great common denominator we call sports because so many people can talk about sports. Yeah. Well, Rob, I just want to say, you know, thank you for coming in and joining us and just want to let the listeners know that, um, SIDs can sometimes be a thankless job, and they do a lot of hard work that will often go unnoticed. And, you know, if you enjoyed BYU athletics from the 70s up to the 2000s, Ralph Zobel had a big part in anything that you saw. And so we just want to say, you know, thank you for all your hard work, and, you know, thanks for coming and joining us today. Thank you for this invitation. So many memories and meeting people just like Nate and Phil and our radio audience. Yeah, it's a good time. Well, Ralph, we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you for all that you did. You've been listening to this week's edition of Cougar Tales. You can find us anywhere you find podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, and all those good places. So for Nate and for Phil, we'll see you next time and go Cougars. <laughs>